He's the man in the back of the room. Y con la voz de Dios. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, CEOs where to go, and stars when to shine. But as he likes to point out, Who cares? I care. It's true, she cares. And so does he. He's entertainment and production agency owner and meeting and event master, Anthony Bellotta. She's his Agent 99, and you're about to be Bellottified. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Bolotified, the one and only podcast about events, entertainment, and engagement. I'm Anthony Bellotta, and I'm here as I am every week with the delicious, always optimistic Alexia Cristina Poselides. Hey, Alex. Hello, everyone. How are you this morning? I hope well. I am well, but I'm very curious to hear about what is on your mind today. Oh. Well, what's on my mind today? Let's get tipsy! Entertainment writers. Well, they get a bad rap. But in actuality, the writer exists to help a producer or a promoter understand exactly what is needed to make an artist show run seamlessly. Many of the ones we work with uh, as producers of private events or one-offs uh, are the very same riders used for major bus and truck tours, for which hospitality needs, for example, can be much greater. But negotiating those is a matter of experience. And about those green M&Ms, or as in the case of a certain current pop artist, a bundle of pink helium-filled balloons, well, most of those little Easter eggs are there simply to ensure the writer has been read. So let's not get hung up on green M&Ms or pink balloons and instead rather look at the writer as your blueprint for ensuring a seamless performance. That's my tip of the day. Okay, before we get started, if you're a new listener, please take this time to like and subscribe. Go ahead, we'll give you a sec. Why, thank you! Our guest today is quite diverse. She has worked in a variety of industries, including government, pharma, marketing, nonprofit, life sciences, She's a certified meeting professional and has been in the meeting and events industry for 20 years and has planned events for military, four-star generals, CEOs, business professionals, and the general public. In the last like one and a half years, she has switched to a project and product management role. Her work takes her all over the world. And in 2022 alone, she traveled to 12 countries. I'm so jealous. Wow. She gets the work-life balance and is learning Italian for herself, which is so admirable and so beautiful. So please welcome the talented Danny Rovinger. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. Hello. Hello. How are you? Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Uh, We're doing well here in Southern California. How is life in Pittsburgh this morning? (laughs) Very cold. Very cold. Um, It was actually snowing yesterday, so it doesn't look like it's snowing at the moment, but I think we are expecting snow again later. 
So I I can't say that I uh, that I uh, you know enjoy snow. So I'm I'm very sorry that you're going to be getting more snow. I actually love snow. I just don't like walking my dog in it. Ooh, so yeah. does your dog yeah. like walking in snow? When there's no salt and it's not like you know what? Because it gets like black and gross after a while. Sure. So when it's like fresh snow, she loves it. She'll run around. But once it gets like walked on and muddy, I have to carry her. It's a whole thing. I love her. She's a clean dog. She doesn't like muddy snow. What kind of a dog? I'm very curious. What kind of a dog? Uh, she's a teddy bear. I'll see. She's sleeping right now. But at the end, oh. I'll see if I can bring her over. Oh, good. So before we get started with the meat of this, we'd love to ask you some questions to help our audience get to know you a little better. We call them 10 Quick Questions. 10 Quick Questions. 10 Quick Questions? Yay! Are you ready for 10 <laughs> Quick Questions? Sure. Very simple. Alex will watch the clock. Two minutes on the clock. 10 questions. Your first, first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready to go, Danny Rovinger? Yes, let's go. Let's do it. Question number one. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. <laughs> she says hesitantly <laughs> with a bit yeah. of trepidation. Number two. <laughs> what do you love most about what you do? That I get to see things from beginning to end. So I get to see it to completion. And that once the project's over, there's a new project to work on. Number three. When was the last time you tried something new? Um, probably last, what month is it? February. So probably last month, um, January, I went to a restaurant and tried a new dish. So I guess, I guess that counts. It, it yes. definitely, definitely <laughs> yeah. counts. A quick follow-up question. Did you enjoy the new dish? Yeah. So I've never been a fan of the, um, squid legs, octopus legs. I've never actually tried them because they scared me. And so I actually tried them for the first time. And will you try them again? They're good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were fried. So I think anything fried tastes good. But... <laughs> okra does not. Enough. Okra fried Enough. does not taste good. Okay. Note. Noted. <laughs> Note Number four. What's the first word that comes to mind, Danny, when you think about you? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, happy? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. All right, Happy, pick one. <laughs> award show or beauty pageant? Oh, award show for sure. Mm -hmm. That's what everybody says, I have to say. Meanwhile, I am a beauty pageant aficionado. What is the most memorable live concert show or festival you've ever experienced? Taylor Swift, 1989. <laughs> wow. Yep. Uh, what do you think about while you're driving? I actually listen to podcasts, um, so really just whatever I'm listening to. Oh, lovely. Hopefully you'll listen to us. <laughs> yeah. If Mickey Mouse were not famous, would you have him over to your house for dinner? No, they're, they're kind of creepy. <laughs> um, so in Pittsburgh, they have, I forget the name of it, Anthrocon, where people dress up as animals. Um, like the furries, I guess. Oh, yeah. Um, and so ever since I moved here and I see that, I'm kind of terrified of people in costumes like that. Mm. Yeah, the furries, they're a bit um, concerning, I have to well, say. Well, I mean, if if that's your, your shtick, you know, all for it. But, so be um, it. I don't, I don't want you in my house wearing it, I guess. <laughs> or for dinner, right. <laughs> 
All right, have you ever done drag, Danny Rovinger? I have not. No. Okay, something but to But that would do. be fun. That would be a new thing to try. Um, and lastly, what's the one thing you wish you could stop doing? Um, procrastinating working out. Ah. I always just say, I'll do it tomorrow, do it tomorrow. How long have you been doing that? Uh, a year. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, so yes, today will happen. Maybe this will motivate me. Seize the day! <laughs> I can't, but I count like walking my dog. That That's some sort of exercise, so I'm not totally pleasing. Well, that's good to hear. Well, you know, it's, it kind of <laughs> actually sounds a little bit like uh, Yaya, even though she, you know, she gets a lot done. I think she's a procrastinator. That would be my my guess about about Yaya. Y- Yaya? Uh-huh. A procrastinator? Uh-huh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> You're lucky she's no longer with us. Because <laughs> I have to tell you something. Because I was thinking about that this morning. Okay, which means? I mean that. My cross is better than your cross. What? Yep. Yep. I, aren't all crosses treated the same? No, my friend. No. You know that the Greeks believe doing the sign of the cross will pretty much cure all evils, right? You know this. Now imagine being both Greek and Sicilian and having to appease both grandmas. It's a constant battle of Yaya versus the Nonas. And we're taught that doing the cross wrong is the same as inviting the devil over for dinner and drinks. Oh. It's bad, right? So now I threw a a surprise 25th wedding anniversary party for my mom and dad. And of course, everyone was invited, including the priests, plural, which was a big mistake because I asked each priest to bless the meal to keep both sides happy, forgetting that the blessing would end in the sign of the cross. As the Sicilians crossed from left to right and the Greeks crossed from right to left, all the lights went out of the ballroom, the temperatures dropped, and the buffet table went up in flames. But luckily, Yaya and credit to Nona were quick on their feet, and they had the Greeks cross the Roman Catholic way, and the Sicilians crossed crossed the Greek Orthodox way, reversing the curse and causing the devil to take flight, and all was returned to normal. Wow. You know what I have to say to that? (laughs) What? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the House of Gucci. That's all I got. Now I'm going to be confused when I have to give the sign of the cross in church. I'm not going to know what to do. I think I just... Maybe just won't. I think I won't go to church. Oh, just go like that. That's that's the way, right? Yeah. Whoop whoop, right? That's it. Woo. What you do is you pretend to sneeze, and then it does. You know. Oh, and then you're fine. And then you're fine. You're fine. You know, people will bless you all day long. So, Danny. Yes. Tell us about those miracles. You said that with a little <laughs> hesitance. Do you believe in miracles? I got a little. Yes. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I was actually, when you said it, I was thinking of, um, I'm a hockey fan. So the movie, the miracle based on like the Olympics from years ago. Uh-huh. Um, but like in my own life, I've never had a miracle, but I mean, if we look at like religion back in the day, you know, there's a lot of things that could be considered miracles. Um, I just, I go back and forth and where I stand on religion. So that's why 
I was like, uh, depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> so you say you've been a, a planner for 20 plus years now. Wow. Yeah, I actually, so I started in officially in college, um, but I did intern in high school. You interned with a, with a, an events company, a meeting planning company. Yeah. So in high school, part of um, our program was to do an internship. And I actually interned at the event planner who planned my bat mitzvah. So I um, went, went there two or three times a week for a few hours and I helped them like with their flowers and arrangements and just learning their processes. Because you knew at that young age, this is what you wanted to do. Um, no, I think I just knew it would be an easy internship. <laughs> was I it? love your honesty. <laughs> um, I actually was, it was, but it was kind of, um, I mean, it was like probably like a 45 minute drive. So it wasn't exactly like around the corner, but huh. it was definitely interesting. And I learned, I did not want to do, um, special events like that, like weddings and bar bat mitzvahs. They're too personal. People get very emotional. Yes, yes, very, very emotional. It's a once in a lifetime event mm-hmm. rather than a you know business meeting that happens multiple times, you know, in a yeah. year. So you decided yeah. at that point, you knew at that point that it it wasn't uh, uh, social events, private events that you wanted to do, but more business events. Yeah. So in college, I interned. Um, I did nonprofit interning, and then I also interned at another special event company that focused on business special events. Um, they're actually the ones who said I had more of the brain for meeting planning than for special events. So they're uh-huh. the ones who kind of steered me into the meeting path. Was that your stint with relevance or did that come later? No, that wasn't until uh, that's actually the job I had right before I left New York. So um, that was about eight years ago. And you've done as 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 Alex mentioned, you've you've planned for medical, you plan for pharma, you plan for, uh, for business, you've planned with relevance that that is an agency that plans meetings and events. Which of those experiences uh, were, were most valuable for you? Um, so I think probably at the beginning of my career, I was a contractor for the government, um, and I was exposed to a lot of very high-ranking individuals in the military um, and in the different offices in the government. Uh, we traveled all around the U.S. planning events for them. So I got to learn how to work with a lot of different type of people um, and also plan some really amazing, really cool meetings and evening events. Um, that I don't think I would have had the exposure to if I had gone to a different type of job. What about the protocols in in planning government events? Isn't it all about protocol and knowing those protocols? Yeah, so it really depended which branch and everything we were working on for that specific event. Um, so, I mean, we did events for like Department of like Defense, um, but it was on the, the cyber cybersecurity side, excuse me. Uh-huh. Um, so there was, you know, that was more just the technology had to be up to speed. Um, when it was with the generals, then yes, then there was AIDS and you had to greet people a certain way. So it definitely um, really did depend on which branch of the military or the government we were working with. Is there a memorable learning lesson that you would share from those days? Anything that pops up? Yes, I learned um 
not in the best way that um, I was ta- I was young, I was probably 22 at the time and um, someone ranking in the military talked to me like, go do this, but like not in a very nice way. And I talked back and I said, please don't talk to me that way. And I was quickly told you can't do that. <laughs> um, so it was definitely a learning experience on how to communicate with people, you know, all over different industries, different professions. I do appreciate your gumption and, I do too. you know, and saying, Hey, I, that, that doesn't work for me. That tone, I'm sorry. It didn't work out the way that it should have, but <laughs> yeah. uh, I do appreciate the gumption. Were, did you, um, did you suffer any issues after that? Or was it just a one and done? I learned this and now I move on. Or were there issues that you faced after that? Um, I think I just kind of had a hard time in that industry as a whole. Just, I, you know, didn't really, for me, I didn't like the way, you know, it was very much, you do this, you do this, you do this, and you just kind of have to do it. There's no questioning anything. And I very much like when I'm told to do something, I like to think about why I'm very analytical. Um, so if I have a question, I'll come back with a question and that just, that didn't work in that type of environment. So oh. I eventually did move on to corporate. <laughs> and, and I have to think, correct me if I'm wrong, that the questions are posed only to better understand what you're doing and do the best job that you can. You would think, yeah. Um, I mean, it definitely depends, I guess. I Like I said, I was young at the time. I probably might not have address them in the proper tone or maybe didn't address them correctly. Um, Mm -hmm. I had good intentions, but I, maybe I just didn't come across the right way. Mm -hmm. And I take ownership. I think I've learned a lot from every experience that I've had. Um, and I definitely learned a lot from that experience. Yes, I bet. I bet. I can only imagine that it's, uh, that it's difficult and, uh, that, you know, you just, it's hard to just do what you're told to do. Especially yeah. Well, I think when you're not allowed to um, have a voice in it, that's what would be difficult for me. Right. Especially when like, I'm trying to do something to make this better. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I don't think I, I, that's probably why I never joined any, you know, organization where they're very much told you have to do things this way, this way, Mm -hmm. this way. I don't like to be kept in a little box. So well, also, when you work in this field, you learn to anticipate issues. So you don't look at anything black and white. You really do, you know, you get directions and you're already thinking, how is this going to work down the line? What will be impacted? Will we have issues? You know, that's how the brain operates when you're a planner, because you have to mm-hmm. operate that way. You have to be able to anticipate those issues. So, you know, I would probably have done the same thing and probably have been uh, gotten in trouble for for speaking back, you know, because it's just a very natural response when you're a planner, you know, you're always thinking four or five steps ahead, and you're always wondering, asking yourself what can go wrong, and then, you know, avoiding that. So, wow, I can only imagine that to be as difficult as you say it is. (laughs) Yeah. And I think if I was older, I probably would have acted a little different. I think age definitely had part of, you know, mm. part of it. I, I feel like we're kind of um, sisters in this. When I was about that age, I thought about joining the Navy. And my dad looked at me and laughed. and He said, you who doesn't like authority. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
probably to say I did not do that. (laughs) So what about learnings you've picked up working globally as opposed to just within the U.S.? There, you must have many, many, many lessons, um, things that you've picked yeah. up working globally. Could you share one or two? Yeah. So I think my um, biggest lesson was my first event in Eastern Europe was actually in Prague. Um, and you know, the U.S., we're very much at hotels. You ask for something, it's there right away, maybe five, maybe five, 10 minutes later. And if it's not there, you know, you can find someone or walk into the kitchen, which I used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas... That event, you know, I sent them my BEOs, everything. It took them like weeks and weeks to get back to me on any single question I had, any information. And then when we got on site, you know, we had our pre-con the day of the meeting, I noticed, you know, they didn't put out enough cups, for example. And I asked them for cups. It took them three hours oh. to bring out cups. And I just couldn't find anyone. I was running around the entire hotel. They're just were hiding. I, I don't know. And it's just the level of service. It's just, um, I think, mm-hmm. Western, Western Americans, um, I say Americans and UK is also like this. I've noticed we're very much, we expect things right away. And that's just the level of service we're used to. And if we can't find it from what that person will find it from somebody else. Um, whereas I noticed most of the rest of the world, it's more laid back. Um, they're there to serve, like serve you and provide you what you need, but it's going to be like, when they get to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. What about uh, the way that we refer to specific things here and, and how they're referred to or called in, in another in another country? Did you have issues communicating with people or feeling like you were having issues communicating what you needed when you didn't um, get the not, Yeah, not really. I mean, I think um, because most of the people who work in the venues understand many languages, I think they have to. Um, I definitely think it was harder with the attendees. Um, I mean, for example, when I was in Italy a few years ago, um, the attendees didn't speak English. So that was definitely a challenge for me um, back then. And, you know, I couldn't even tell them how to go to the bathroom. You know, they were asking me questions and I looked probably like a deer in headlights. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's definitely, you know, learning experience. They also set, I noticed they set um, their first row of seating way closer to the stage than I would ever do. So it's just little things you notice are just very different each in each country. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that as well, including the way that meals are served can be very, very different <laughs> if you don't. Uh, and if you're not paying attention to something like that, it can really turn an event upside down. Yeah, you, even, you-, you know, like a break, it's, um, yeah. They, they put out one coffee cup per person, but it was like an individual coffee machine. And I, I looked at them and I'm like, we have 500 people. How is one, one cup at a time coffee machine going to work? And their answer was, oh, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. I've I'm experienced like, 10 that. minutes. Yes. yes. It's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's um it's perspective, right? You know, we're used to things this way, they're used to things that way. So it's kind of finding the balance. Um, but if you're not prepared for it, it's definitely a culture shock. Did you find any um as an American, do you feel like maybe you were treated differently than say if you were from another Eastern European or where, you know, wherever you are country? Um 
Yes and no. Um, I usually say I'm Canadian, to be honest. So <laughs> oh, goodness, that's another I've, another subject. I've we'll done that. To. I've yeah. done that too. I understand, especially when I'm traveling for fun. So, um, but yeah. So business wise, I think they just they have the I hate to say stereotype, but stereotype that Americans, you know, are very pushy. Um, so I think they kind of were a little hesitant. At least that's kind of the impression I got. Have you worked in a country in which you're told yes and then later told no or told no and then later told yes? And Oh, uh, yeah. I just I can't remember details, but I know that's definitely happened <laughs> many times. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's quite maddening. I, I have to say when you really don't know where you stand with something weeks out and yeah. you right, you have to just sort of resolve to say, okay, I'm just going to figure it out when I get there either way. Yeah. I remember like being told that they couldn't do something. And then I got on site and it was there and I was like, what? (laughs) Or just, they didn't have the ability to do like a water machine, but just like little things that just to us is like around like everywhere. And it's um, just not normal necessarily in other countries. Right. Right. But did you find that the level of professionalism in other countries is high in the event industry? Yes and no. Okay. (laughs) Um, I don't think there's a standard answer, unfortunately. Um, And I hate to say it depends which property you're at, but I kind of um, think it might be dependent upon which property you're at. Um, Because I've had really great, amazing service. Um, and then I've had, like I mentioned, where I couldn't find anybody for hours, but when they were there, yes, they were very professional, but they just were never around. Right. So and it's, yeah. Not to throw brands under the bus, but mm-hmm. may I ask, is it easier to work in an American branded hotel across yeah. the pond? It is. A hundred, a hundred percent. Especially when you have like an NSO, um, because if they're not, you know, cooperating or you're having issues, you can just call your NSO and they are usually able to help explain, you know, what you need and your history with the brand. Um, And I also found that most these big brand hotels, they hire people who are from all over the world, not necessarily um, just local, which obviously I support, you know, hiring local. Mm -hmm. um, So don't want to step on any toes there. But I do think it does add value to have, you know, international um, employees because they can relate to different people. Mm -hmm. So off of business for just a second, you're also, uh, you're heavily involved in nonprofit organizations other in your spare time, I assume. <laughs> uh, one of them being the National Council of Jewish Women. And you're a board member and you have been for quite some time. Tell me why that's, you're so passionate about that organization. Yeah, so when I moved to Pittsburgh, um, that's actually how I got involved in the community and met um, a lot of people was to join different organizations. And that was one of them. Um, I really enjoyed specifically this organization because they give back to the community and different areas in the community, not necessarily just Jewish communities. Um, for example, one program we, we did for years, we know what we do a different version now was called the Back to School Store. Um, where we worked with different um, nonprofits around the city. And we got backpacks donated, clothing. Um, So it was literally a store that underprivileged families could take their kids in 
get backpacks. They had an eye check. They got new shoes, a jacket, um, some books. And it was just a really nice way because you can actually see these kids who may have like 10 siblings, you know, now they're getting their own shoes and not hand, hand me downs. Mm -hmm. So it's just really impactful. Um, and another one of our events, which I absolutely loved, was called Project Prom. Um, same thing. We had brand new prom dresses. It was a huge, Anthony would love this, oh, huge wow. <laughs> like warehouse full of brand new prom dresses. And we got to like be personal shoppers for these girls. And wow. Oh, I just, love that. Yeah. So it's, it's really, I really like, it just really touches all different areas of mm. Pittsburgh. Um, and there are chapters around the country as well who do different types of events to like really make their local community better. How empowering that is for those mm -hmm. young people. Yeah, really I does. cried my first year. I was so happy. I bet. <laughs> I bet. We have had the honor of participating in something similar during during the holiday time with a toy drive that a, a local nonprofit that we've been very involved in has done. And the look on the faces of the kids that come in, same situation. It's like an open store with, mm -hmm. you know, pick what you want kind of mentality for Christmas. And there's no better feeling than to walk out of there at the end of that shift because you you see the difference it makes for families who who would otherwise not have a, a holiday. In your case, kids that would go to school with hand-me-down clothes. You know, as we get older, we forget how embarrassing that can be and how debilitating that can be. Uh, social media reminds us. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's true. You've Very also true. Been You've also been involved in Big Brothers, Big Sisters uh, in New York. I believe you were involved. Yeah, were you... that was a while ago. Yeah. So tell me what brought you to that um, organization and, and what you did for Big Brothers, Big Sisters. So I actually was never, unfortunately, a big sister, but I was on their um, planning planning committee, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, one of my coworkers at the time had joined the organization and he thought it would be like a a good fit for me. So I had joined and um, I unfortunately ended up moving before I got too involved with actually planning more of their events, but just hearing some of the stuff that they were thinking about or moving forward with is pretty impactful. And really just hearing the stories, you know, how, how much of an impact like one person can have on someone's life, especially like somebody who comes from a family where maybe their mom or dad isn't fully present because they're working three jobs. Mm -hmm. um, so just the impact that one person could have, it's really, it was just really touching. And that was what drew me really to that organization. I don't know that you met him, but my little brother was at our graduation last month. No, Nadja. I didn't. He's almost 30 now, but uh, wow. he, he uh, was telling my friends that after graduation that, uh, before he met me, he was very angry and uh, very upset with his dad for very good reason, I might add. Uh, and I met Nadja when he was 10. And I, I have to say it's the most rewarding relationship I've ever had. And to this day, we stay in touch and I uh, care deeply for him. And, uh, you know, it's I don't have a little brother, naturally, you know, uh, genetically. So... Uh, this was uh, this was the next best thing, and it's it's the kind of relationship that you just never want to lose sight of because it's so so uh, impacting, and it feels just great. You know, it does fill me up. So thank you for yeah. that work. 
I was going to say, I imagine C probably seen a huge change in him for what, 20 years. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, you, you know, I, I have been surprised by him more than once. Uh, and I, I have seen changes, but from the very, very first day that I met him, I knew that he was a sensitive, caring, incredible young man who was just dealt a, you know, bad hand, if you will, where his father was concerned. His mother's terrific, you know, thank God, because she was the one that, that sought me out. Uh, But yeah, it is, it is definitely fulfilling to see him grow into a terrific young man. Yeah, I feel like it's, um, I think people should just need to remember that it's usually not the children's fault. So it's, you know, um, whatever you can do to help it's usually beneficial because they're kind of, you know, born into that situation or mm-hmm. that neighborhood or yes. it's a matter of luck per se. It is. It all, it's all, it's, a, it's, you know, it could happen to any of us. You know, we, we don't get to choose where we come into this world. Yeah. Just yeah, the way yeah. it is. So when you worked for relevance back to your business, if you don't mind, yeah. um, I found it interesting that you, you did more on the, it seemed like you did more on the festival side of that business. Yeah. I'm curious to know how that experience was and how it differs from just doing meetings, events, private events. Yeah. So that was actually a startup company. Um, and so the idea was to do festivals in different cities around the U S um, based on different um, topics per se. Um, so a lot of the site visits I, I were, was looking into were um, obviously the hotels for um, for overnight. So then we were looking at special event venues to do not just like traditional meetings, but more interactive meetings. So maybe like we have an event at a music venue um, where you have obviously a guest lecture, but then like instead of a traditional speaker student, um, it's, you know, interactive and maybe you're building something while you're learning about the topic of the day. Um, so it was oh. kind of be like concurrent sessions all around the city at the same time. That was, you know, it was very, it was interesting. I really enjoyed it. So. So did you do music events as well as content events? No, no, it wasn't. Um, so the company un- unfortunately was only around for a year. So. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry to hear that. That happens. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, happens. yeah, it was Were a really you... great idea. I loved it. I loved um, the founder, but yeah, it's un- yeah happens. Yeah, yeah, it happens more than we like to admit, actually. Yeah, uh, and that's actually how I ended up in Pittsburgh. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. You took this job in Pittsburgh. You moved to Pittsburgh for this job, and yeah, th- then you when were that, left in um, Pittsburgh. Yeah, when the company kind of. Um, I knew it, you know, wasn't going to last for much longer. I actually reached out to an old con- like boss, a contact I had. Um, she's like, well, you need to move to Pittsburgh. You have to come apply an interview. Um, so I went through the whole process and I got the job. And then a few weeks later, I moved here with never having been here in my life. <laughs> wow. You're from originally? Florida. That's what I thought. I was trying to remember. <laughs> I said to Alex, I think Danny and I are from the same. Yes. Remember same town. my, our, my dad yes. went to your yes. high, middle school. That's high right. School. Yeah. That's right. Cause you lived in Aventura for a while, right? Did you? Yes. Not? Yes, I yes. did. As well Aventura as, Mall. as, as well as Charlene lived in Aventura for a while. Yeah. Very interesting that the three of us ended up in the same cohort after. You I know. know. 
right? How many years? I know. And Charlene's like, it's, um, I feel like I probably had to have met her because we are the same year in school. If we hung out at all these same places. You must have. You must have. I mean, it's not like Aventura is that big. It's bigger now than it was, but. Right. You know, it's the mall. Small worlds. Small worlds. Yes. You know, I worked at that mall for a while. Oh, what what store? I worked at Macy's right out of college. Yeah, before I got into the industry. Macy's is still there, but it is now just a women's store. Uh, When I worked there, I was in Godiva. And then I was in men's shoes. I, I worked again, but I thought for a while I was going to stay at Macy's and go through executive training, but that didn't work out. And I think that was best. Probably. Uh, yeah. Yeah, probably. I don't, I can't imagine that I would still be doing retail today. It just doesn't, it feels like a non-starter. Mm. Yeah. Do you Very miss different life? <laughs> do you miss South Florida? God, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I could have answered it a little slower. Um, Sorry. No, I can't really disagree. <laughs> I really can't disagree with can't you. Disagree I can't disagree with you either. Yeah. I haven't lived there since I was in high school. So I um definitely not. Um, and I think it's gotten, I hate to say worse since I've left, but I think it's gotten worse since I've left. It's definitely not as comfortable as it used to be or easy as it used to be. And traffic alone is a nightmare in, in yeah. Aventura. Uh, I was just there not so long ago and, you know, I, I basically chew my fingernails off and I don't even bite my nails. It's just, it just that's how stressful yeah. it is, you know, the environment, the people it's um very much like a doggy dog. Like if you don't have the newest car, you're not wearing the nicest outfit. It's not a great environment to be in. No, I'm, I, I hate hearing you say that, but I'm, I'm really relieved to hear you say that because <laughs> I have felt the same thing my entire life. It's all about what yeah. you wear, what you drive, who you know. It that's mm-hmm. what it's about in South Florida. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. So like, I was such like a I, I hate to say this, I was such a jab growing up because that's like um, Jewish American princess. Mm-hmm. In case we, um, because like I felt like I had to be, and then eventually, like over the years, I'm like, what is what? what? Like, who am I? This is not me. Mm-hmm. But you kind of like guess assimilate and you know go whatever your surroundings are. Absolutely. Well, you have to survive, you know. Absolutely. And and I I I have to say because of that environment I am who I am because of that environment today, you know, yeah. the things that I that I prioritize are because of the way oh, I, for I sure. was raised. Oh yeah, you definitely know like how you want to act, how you don't want to act, you know, things that are attractive, not attractive. Um yeah, I totally agree. Exactly. Exactly. So we have somebody in common Somebody other than Patty, Patty. Uh, <laughs> well, I just, I just went blank on her name, and I shouldn't Roscoe? even go blank. Patty I can't Roscoe? even believe that I just went blank on Patty Roscoe. Oh my goodness! I need a slap in like... the face. <laughs> it was like it just wouldn't roll off my tongue. Uh, other than Patty Roscoe, who was your mentor during the cohort, we also know Angel Tassone. I didn't know that you know Angel. The name sounds familiar. Oh, yes. I have not talked to her in years. Yes, she's a great lady. Great lady. Uh, She, as a matter of fact, we sat on uh, the uh, Hospitality Sales and Marketing Association International, HSMAI, together years ago. And then before she moved to Huntington Beach, she actually worked for me for a few months. Oh, wow. 
very casually until she actually moved. Uh, one of my favorite people and just a terrific lady. I honestly don't know if she's still at the Hyatt after COVID because so many, many, many things changed, you know, since COVID. But um, but yeah, I'm it sure seems she's like people smiling. are moving moving around after that. So yeah, absolutely. Do you still do a lot of hotel buying in your job? Is that part of your? No, I am actually um, not involved with that at all anymore. So, which is great. (laughs) Yeah, I would imagine, you know, there are, there are many different kinds of planners and there are, Mm -hmm. uh, and I should say meeting planners. There are meeting planners that know the hotel product very well, and that's where they focus. And then there are sourcing, yeah. Right. And then there are some that really do get more into the content, the delivery of the messaging. Where do you fall in that? Um, so what I used to do was we actually, the content was always handled by our, um, people who I guess requested the event. Um, my team was responsible for sourcing and finding the right venue and then actually executing on the event. Mm. Um, so we didn't handle any of the content. We just handled everything, um, from finding the venue, the transportation, all the logistics of the hotel, any special events. What is what is the part of the job that you like the most? Uh, my current job or past, like as a meeting planner? As a meeting planner, what what um, activity do you like the most? Um, I would say probably planning the menus, um, especially when it's like a special event, like a reception or a dinner, um, and getting to be creative with them, if you can, with a budget. If you can, with a budget, right. Yeah. And with a chef. Who you know? Who is hopefully who's flexible, minded and willing? Right. Right. Uh, do you have an extensive food and beverage background? I do not. Um, it's funny. Actually, years ago, I want to say it was actually the Hyatt Huntington Beach. The my CSM said to me I would be a really good food and beverage director. Um, not really sure where that came from, but I guess just my level, like my level of attention to detail. Um, and just like the way I like just really inspected everything, but I, that always stuck in my head as something. Um, but besides that, no, just this industry is the only experience I have. Um, I mean, I was a waitress and a hostess, but that's not really, you know, <laughs> not so much on the food side. Well, you're around food, but you mm-hmm. may not. Around food. Right. So I actually worked with, this was probably 20 years ago, a planner who had no taste buds. And wow. I thought, uh, yeah, I thought that was an odd career for somebody who has no taste buds, because how can you, how can you possibly make menu selections for people when you don't know how it tastes yourself? Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? They must, they must be really good shape if they can only eat like you can eat all the healthy food without knowing it tastes bad. That's right. That's right. She was a she was a very in shape lady, very very thin and in shape for sure. But That's I really wow. Yeah. I did find that to be interesting, you know, because it it is it is definitely an occupational hazard when you can't taste food that you're selecting for other people. Right. Especially for like a really high profile like reception, you want to have a tasting with the venue to make sure this is okay. And it could mm-hmm. be raw. It could, I mean, there's a lot of things that could go wrong there. Have you had any issues with food in your career? 
with, with um, the food service, the food delivery, the food quality? Food delivery, yes. Um, I stormed into many a kitchen in my day. <laughs> um, just, you food. Know, yeah, because, you know, I they say they're going to be out 15 minutes to half an hour early. And I had a group of professionals walking in and it was now 20 minutes before the event and there were nowhere to be found. So I went in the kitchen and got it myself. Wow. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, the only other issue I think I have had, which I know some hotels do this, is where they count plates or roll-ups. And then they tell me that I had 500 people, even though I, I know I only had like 300. Um, because people, I was like, I know my this group, they take 12 plates or they take like four napkins because they can't have the same one, but you know. Right, right, right. And I was like, that's like, I was like, you can look at my list. Like there's not... That's always been my biggest issue with food and beverage at hotel. Is this a buffet situation? Yes. I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah. I've noticed that hotels have, in, in trying to clamp down on feeding more people than the guarantee they're given, I've mm-hmm. noticed that many properties won't even set tables for more people. You know, that's, yep. I guess, I- their way of, of managing the issue. I noticed that in the last few years, they just keep the extra tables kind of just empty. Mm-hmm. And and I do, I get, I get the issue, you know, and I understand that, that there are planners who play the numbers game and, you know, they're always trying to save a few dollars. I do understand that. But then there's the other side of the, the uh, argument, which is, well, the food has been prepared for a certain amount over and right. it's sitting in the, in the dishes there it's under Mm -hmm. the heating lamp if these people don't eat it it's either going to be repurposed for the cafeteria or thrown away so what's the problem well that goes back to what we learned in school sustainability right i mean you're having it's all this extra waste at that point and to me like a lot of the venues i worked at they didn't even give it to the hotel staff because i asked and i said we have all this food do you guys get it and a lot of them said no it was just going in the garbage, which to oh. me, I was horrified by. I mean, granted, this was pre-COVID, so mm. hopefully things have changed a bit. I remember an event we did on Disney property, oh, mm-hmm. probably 10, 15 years ago now, Disney World. And we had a headliner there and we had to provide food for the green room. And after two hours, oh, and by the way, there was a refrigerator in the green room because we were using a trailer on the property. And after two hours, the catering staff came in and wanted to take all the food out because it had been there for two hours oh, right. and they and they wanted to replenish it. And I, I had to stomp my foot down and say, absolutely not. We'll put it in the refrigerator and we'll serve it later. This is not going to go bad. It's definitely not waste. And right. it was a bit of an argument. Uh, to get them to allow us to keep that food out for a bit longer. Yeah, I feel like that's always because if it could be perishable, they don't want to get anyone sick. Mm-hmm. I get both. I totally get both sides of that argument, um, having been on both sides of that. So I, it's definitely a fine line. And I hope there's a better solution at some point. Um, but yeah, the whole wasting food because it's been sitting there for hours to me is silly. Like mm-hmm. it's a plate of fruit, for example like cut up like a fruit ball they would try to take that away i'm like we'll have that i'll keep it out like they'll have it as a snack and they're like it's been out too long like it's fruit it's not gonna go bad it's fine 
Right. It's going to be fine. Yeah. You know, I had this just happen this weekend. I wonder if you have, we have, we go to the trouble of providing a script for the evening, an agenda, a timeline. And in that we include the food service timeline as well. And the reason we do that is to ensure that the food service works along with the program. And, you know, for example, it isn't finished too fast so that people are waiting uh, for the program now because they've already eaten and they're becoming restless. You know, it, it needs to align. And so we do that work. And this last time the hotel came back and said, the entree will be served at this time, even though it wasn't the time that we had noted. And of course, we we know how long it takes. So we're not, we're not insisting that the food service happen too quickly or too slowly. You know, we know, we know that the kitchen can handle it. So what, have you had that happen to you or a hotel will come back and say, no, it's going to be, it's going to be placed at this time instead of what you asked them to do. No, no, never had that experience, but that's, um, that's, I guess, a very stubborn chef. It feels that way. You know, it does feel that way. And when you have all of the information at hand and you're working with somebody who doesn't, it does feel a little annoying as well. I'm glad they to only hear know that... they're part of it. They don't right. see the bigger picture. Yeah. Right. So that brings me to this question. How important is it for you to understand and have knowledge in a variety of areas when you're a planner? Um, I think it's really important because if you don't know what's going on in all different areas, you're not able to see the big picture. So for example, like, yes, we might not work on the content, the agendas, but we still need to know what's going on, Mm -hmm. what time the rooms are breaking, what time can we refresh the room if we need to reset it. Um, I might not understand necessarily what they're talking about, but it does help to know like their flow and their, what they're doing and how their room set up. Cause otherwise you can walk in there and it, could be a fire like disaster fire hazard excuse Mm -hmm. me um or they're going to decide to break 10 minutes before the rest of the group and then you're not prepared for them i mean as far as you know knowing all the health and safety regulations of the hotel um the nearest hospitals have always been something that i think is very important to know Mm -hmm. um and definitely where the emergency kits are at hotels and knowing who to contact what about you never know what could happen right (laughs) and what about emergency planning? Uh, do you go to that extent? Do you advise the the uh, attendees where to go, what to do in an emergency? Have you started taking that step yet? So um, we usually include some sort of uh, letter that just says, you know, because we have security that comes and they'll say we can contact them for these types of needs, or we provide a list of like nearby hospitals. Um, as far as I, I hate to say like, you know, if there's a mass shooting or something like that, no, we have not that I'm aware of done anything to prepare for that type of situation. Um, but that I can imagine that's going to be in the future, mm. um, some sort of where we used to have really what hurricane tornado drills growing up. Right. Like right. there might be now, I know schools are doing it, the shooting drills and yeah, yeah, they do it. You know, I I haven't been asked by clients. It's the reason why I wanted to ask you. I've not been asked to make those announcements, for example, when they're coming into the general session or before it starts or at the end in the housekeeping. Nobody has ever said, you know, we need to announce where the exits are. We need to make sure people know. And and I think it's because they're adults, right? I mean, you would assume most adults 
are sufficient. They can look or oh, I know that's giving people a lot of credit. <laughs> um, but most people should be able to look up and see the red mm. exit sign. Right. They Some should. Common sense. They should. Yeah. Do you, but I'm wondering if part of the reason for not being asked to do that is to not put that fear in people's heads ahead yeah. of time so that they're focused at, for the task at hand. I, I think you might be right. I think it's a question of perception and not yeah. wanting to set the wrong tone at the beginning of the meeting. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, in my mind, I'm always thinking, okay, but what if something does happen? Right. Yeah. Isn't it right. better that people know what to do rather than leave it to chance? I uh, think as the planner, you have to have the plan in your head. Um, obviously, tell the people who are working on your team and then hope for the best. Mm. If they all know, they should be able to hopefully corral as many people into the right you know, direction as possible. How about requests from, from your clients, uh, internal, external, regardless, that seem unfeasible or even dangerous to you? Have you had to field any of those requests and how do you handle them? Um, that's a hard one. Um, I don't, I can't really remember anything that seemed like dangerous. Well, that's not true. Let me back up trying to think of, yes, I actually had somebody ask to go, um, ax throwing, which I know is like a normal activity, but when it's on the company, like you're going as a company event, then you have like liability and like legal issues. You have so many things that come into play. Um, so, you know, you have to, my response back was, well, let me see if we can get this approved. Right. Because I'm not going to be the one putting my butt on the line to make you happy. If then I'm going to get like this person coming down on me and this person coming down to me, like overall, I need to make sure we're having a safe, successful outing Mm -hmm. event, um, and not putting anyone in danger and not putting anyone at risk. And that kind of, yeah, something could go wrong. You never know. And no, don't want to end up with an employee with an ax in there. Definitely not. Yeah, definitely not. And and what are the optics then, right? I mean, I think that's something else we have to look at. Even if it's a completely uh, benign outing and, you know, there isn't any chance that anything will go wrong. If something does, just the optics that, oh, these people went axe throwing. Well, what the hey, of course, you know, that, that alone can be an issue. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's all about perception. You know, um, are they? Why aren't they working? Why are they going extra? Right? Right. right, like. <laughs> right. So. We were in France with a group, uh, probably five or six years ago, and I, I want to say it was. I want to say it was Peugeot, but I know it wasn't. Had a new car in France, a two-seater, very small, tiny, and the client wanted to do test drives and wanted the attendees to drive from where our general session was to where our party was going to be in France. Uh, And we had a time convincing them that that was not the right thing to do. It was just way too dangerous. There was way too much liability for the company. And it took us months to talk them out of it. So I, right. I and also, don't yeah. you need like international driving yes, licenses? You and... Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. That yeah. seems like it would be very complicated request. And yeah. expensive. 
It was expensive, complicated, and at the end of the day, it just really wasn't feasible or safe. You know, you you can tell people all day long, these are the rules of the road. But, you know, you put somebody behind that wheel and suddenly they feel like, you know, they're speedy Gonzalez and you've got no control anymore. And what if what Uh, if um, the attendee doesn't want to do it? Right. There's that, too. There's that, too. Yeah. And especially if everyone then around them is doing it, they might feel pressure. It's like, oh, yeah. Putting people in uncomfortable situations. Yes. So you you're still a CMP. I am. Yeah. And you also just got your master's in meeting and event management. So I wonder, uh, can you, can you give us some information as to the difference between being a CMP and getting your master's? So I got my CMP God, <laughs> quite a long time ago. So I don't honestly remember um, everything that was involved with it. Um, I know I did a lot of educational hours and did an exam and to keep it up, I have to do my educational hours. Um, it, I think it was just very different. I think the CMP is very focused on by the book. You know, this is how you plan an event. You put your projector this far away from the screen. Um, this is how many people fit in a, this size banquet round. So it's very much like, I hate to say like ABCs of meeting planning, but that's mm-hmm. kind of how I felt about it. I know, I know it's changing a little bit. Um, whereas I think our master's program was really about developing our skill sets um, in all different areas of the industry. Um, I would personally have never done any marketing. So really the deep diving into that marketing, um, I found out I really enjoyed it. Um, even data, like not mm-hmm. something I ever really enjoyed. And now it's part of my huge part of my job. So also super helpful and not something as a CMP you really learn about. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're more, you're ready now to be more of a strategist to help plan events that are more meaningful than you were before the program? I do. I think um, the program definitely taught me, I mean, a lot about leadership and working obviously with different types of people, um, how to handle different situations, the types of type of people you're going to work with, all different types of leaders. And I think just learning all these different parts of the industry, like hospitality as a whole, I think it was really helpful because you you get to know things that you, like I said, you've never seen or experienced before, or maybe just had like a little dabbling in and really mm-hmm. deep diving into it and actually experiencing it. You can see, well, maybe if you tried it this way now, like now that I've done it, like maybe you should try it and maybe mm-hmm. that will help you do one thing better. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. It's time. I'm getting the signal. We got to get to okay. the nitty gritty. <laughs> the Bolotified Five. So these are our five Bolotified questions. We call them the Bolotified Five. Are you ready to go? Yeah, Danny, sorry. What, what, is your, what, is your, what is your golden rule? What do you live by? Which rule? Um, I try to uh, live each day to the fullest um, and really try to make the best of any bad situations. This is kind of a more recent approach to life, probably the last few years. I just kind of realized, you know, life's really short. Um, instead of really dwelling on something and letting it ruin my day, I try to try to get over it. Um, and you, it's, I think, made a difference. Was it a, um, was it a sudden change of perception? Did something happen to 
to help you to achieve this new yeah um so actually i was got sick um november 21 mm -hmm. um i was in the hospital for about a week um they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me but i was jaundiced it was terrifying and it kind of just made me realize like if they can't figure like that's your liver it's very dangerous and mm -hmm. i you know i never i was like oh my god i could not leave this hospital um I mean, thankfully I'm fine. It's an autoimmune and it, it's treatable and, you know, um, but it did kind of just make me be like, oh, I shouldn't like let these little things bother me as much. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm not having a good day, like what can I do to make it better? Um, so I think that definitely had, had a huge impact. I mean, there's definitely days where I still have, you know, struggles with health, the same continuing health issues. Um, and I, I really try to get up, get through it. So I'm just, you know, it's definitely a wake up. Yeah. Wow. I remember now that you, because you were supposed to be yeah. on this podcast last year and mm -hmm. you couldn't make it because you were ill and you still managed to graduate on time, get through school, get through work, get it all done. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Very I would admirable. say most of um the instructors we had, they, you know, especially with my traveling, they were very much like they gave me a, like extra time or they released stuff early so I could do it on airplanes. Um, I think, you know, and it's just knowing my own limitations, right? Like I no longer can stay up as late. Like, I, like I'm sure like a lot of our classmates, you know, you guys worked at night in your homework. Mm -hmm. Well, I go to bed at like eight or nine now. I hate to, I sound so old, but like, that's what my body needs to fight off to fight off autoimmune disease. So it's, it's just really knowing your limitations and trying to make it work to the best of your ability and squeezing as much in that time as you can. Yes. What happens when you can't follow your regime? Do you, do, are you able to keep yourself calm and get yourself through it and, and see the light at the end of the tunnel, even though when you're, you know, you're facing darkness? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I'm very much a list person. So, I mean, yes. I have like 12 lists on my desk right now. So I just, if I can't do it today, then I'll do it tomorrow. Um, I, I always say we're not saving lives. Um, it's, you know, by me not doing this one thing, say writing a paper for school or um, answering an email, like I'm not, someone's not going to, I hate to say this, die because I'm not writing an email. Right. Like I'm not necessarily negatively impacting other people. Like somebody can wait till tomorrow for me to respond. It's not life-threatening it's not urgent they're not waiting on the other end of that computer since they sent you that email waiting for you you know patiently to respond i'm sure they've gone on to something else right oh i don't know although sometimes oh. i feel like a lot of people in our industry are very much this is an emergency right I, yes. because you know, i again, say so perspective perspective <laughs> right right yeah. right and and oftentimes it is an emergency because the person on the other end waited so long it turned into one that that's Correct. what we mm, experience yes, yeah. a bit here um oh yeah what is one of your daily habits you strongly believe contributes to your success um i think so i whenever i walk take my dog for a walk i either try to listen to music that i know is like going to cheer me up like some of my favorite music like broadway musicals um or 
Yeah. Or Taylor Swift. Um, or I listen to podcasts that, you know, I'm going to learn something from. So I, I try to learn at least one new thing a day. Um, whether it's my Italian, which you mentioned earlier, or just like something on the news or something I find from a podcast. I just, I think it's really helpful to just learn one new thing a day, even if it's something silly, like why does water fizz, you know, just something. Right. Right. Why does water fizz? Oh, I don't know. I just, I just brought that oh, Well, that was a really great example. <laughs> now I'm curious. Yeah. Well, now you'll learn something new because you'll look it up. I'll look it up. There you go. Thank you, Danny. Danny, what are the no things? You t- what are the things you tell yourself when no one is listening? Um, just you know, keep going. You can do it. Um, try not to sweat the small stuff. Good. And then just like believe in yourself, really, because yeah. I've kind of learned over the years that you know, especially working for other people, that you know you're to them a number, and. <laughs> Um, I have to keep reminding myself I'm not a number, you know, I'm a person and then I have a life. I'm not just a number with money behind it. Yes. I, I, it brings me to the, this quote that I repeat often, whether you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yep. What is the one change you'd like to see in the industry? Or what is one change? Maybe not the one, but one change you'd like to see in the industry. I thought, I mean, the one thing that's definitely been an annoyance per se um, is that people are booking hotels now for like years in advance and not all organizations you're allowed to do that or necessarily do that. So then you're really behind the eight ball. Um, I guess that's not really, I guess that is in the industry. You know, I kind of wish everyone was on the same page. Right. It would just be a, everyone had an equal shot. Right. Right. Well, the associations work so far out in advance, for yeah. example, uh, we just worked with somebody who's already booked through 2025. And wow. yeah, and I know, and that time frame has shortened, used to be even further out, people would be, you know, planning, and it's hard for the corporates. Oh, I just yep. got a note, they're booked out to 2032. Oh, wow. They're already booked out to 2030. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It That's, does make, wow. yeah, it makes it yeah. hard. It does definitely does make it harder for those that are inhibited by the timeframes that their companies give them or that yeah. their, their leadership can, you know, focus on. Right. And I also think, um, I mean, we mentioned it earlier, the food waste, <laughs> that would be really great if, um, you know, especially these larger hotel chains could really come up with some plan to deal with that because that's it's really sad to think about well there's so many people who are in need that could use it yeah yep yeah so i think that that would be my answer my, my second answer is my Food first waste. <laughs> yeah Ooh. sorry so what, i'm dropping things over here oh it's okay i drop things all day long uh if my teeth weren't in my mouth they would have surely fallen on the floor <laughs> once or twice already this morning all right what is your why what drives you? Um, you know, I've always kind of had an inner motivation. So I just, I don't need someone necessarily to motivate me. I've just kind of always been a self-motivator. I'm not really sure. I guess my parents instilled that in me, but mm-hmm. um, I've always been the type to like, I need to get this done and then I can go have fun or I need to, um, even around cleaning my house, always been like something I need to do for myself. So it's, I don't know why, 
That's a good question. It's just, uh, I guess, ingrained in me, my DNA. Mm. Do you find that you work better with people who are faster and more flexible than people who work slower and maybe more, um, more focused? So I think just working in all sorts of industries and organizations, I've had to work with both. Um, I've been told that I am a very fast paced, efficient worker and that most people are not going to be up to my speed. So I need to like learn how to work with all different types of people. Um, obviously I would, I do get along better and work better with people who can keep up with me, but I know that's very rare. Um, so I have had to adjust kind of my, I guess, expectations of others, um, and realize that most people aren't like Speedy Gonzalez and they like to, some people like to take their time and reread and reread things before they, you know, write. So, yeah, I think I've, like I said, just, I think all the different experiences I have had have really, you know, shaped me into being able to work with all different types of people. You just, um, what I think we learned about this in one of our classes, you have to adjust your communication yes, based on who you're, who you're working with. Mm -hmm. The two buzzwords that that continue to uh, circle in my head are empathy and curiosity, uh, because yeah. for me they help me to tone down the judgment, uh, right. which doesn't you know I have no right to be judgmental, but it's just a character trait, you know. It's yeah, I think that's in in all of us. It yes, just absolutely. it's in there. You just hear it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Keeping that 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 voice as low as possible. Tone that voice down. So what's next for yeah. Danny? Um, what's next? Um, I am actually looking at getting my PMP, so my project management professional certification. Wow. Um so, you know, because why stop at all this? Let's why stop? I was going to ask you, do you miss school? And I guess the answer to that is yes. Um, yes and no. I think I I always need to, like I said, have to learn something new. I don't like to just do nothing. Um, I find, like, don't get me wrong. I can sit for hours and binge watch TV. But I also then, like, kind of feel guilty. Like, I should be doing something useful and productive. Um and so I'm always, I want to better myself. And I think because I have just come into a new um, career pathway out of, it's in the meetings and events industry, but more focused on like strategy, project and product management. I do find that um, I, there's a lot for me to learn and that's exciting. And I think, you know, it can only help me move forward. Mm -hmm. Just learning something awesome. new. Sky's yeah. the limit. Yep. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely. Thank you so much for joining yes, us today. Yes, thank Danny. you. And thank good you luck. for having me. Absolutely. Well, we've waited a whole year, so it's I know, I know. No, you know how sorry. it is. No, no, no <laughs> worries. I uh, I have the picture of us in my photo, uh, in my photos, and I and I tend to look at it a lot i must say of our graduation picture it's one of the uh, loveliest know. pictures so nice i miss i feel like i miss talking to everybody it's like very um bizarre i definitely miss everyone and uh we we are starting a, a book club yes i signed and, up with you yes <laughs> and we're gonna be we're gonna be getting you some information soon on how we're going to make that work so that we can continue to learn and read and, and awesome. uh, push each other a little bit 
Well, thank yeah, you so I much. I think that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening to Bellotified. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe. And remember to leave us your questions or comments at bolotta.com backslash podcast. Bellotified is a production of Bellotta Entertainment. Hey, that's a lot of Bellotta. Stay engaging. <laughs>